Open up your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 32. So we've talked about Mary, the same woman, and we find her going to the same place, the feet of Jesus, time after time after time. And then um, later we saw three different people that, uh, that also ran to the feet of Jesus, desperate people, a demon-possessed man, desperate, runs to the feet of Jesus. After that... We see this ruler of the synagogue, desperate for his daughter that's dying. He runs to the feet of Jesus. And then this woman who's had this hemorrhage of blood for 12 years, she's desperate, she's unclean, runs to the feet of Jesus. A chain breaker meets the real chain breaker. And then the ruler or a ruler of the synagogue meets the ruler of the synagogue. And then after that, the, the woman who suffered at the hands of many physicians meets the real physician. And I've tried to emphasize, go to the feet of Jesus. We need to just go to the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> now, I'd like to share this evening about another man that, that met Jesus. And this is actually in the Old Testament. And uh, it's a pre-incarnate Jesus. This is a, what theologians would call a Christophany. Um, here we see Jesus takes on a pre-incarnate body here, and uh, he wrestles with Jacob all night long. And uh, I love this passage. This is one of my favorite passages. I, uh, I just want to preach this to myself, and I really think you get a picture right here of prayer, and um, we need to run to the feet of Jesus, sometimes sitting at his feet, receiving his teaching, other times just on our knees crying out to him, then there's other times when we're just going to be actually prostrated before him, bowing down, worshiping him, and then there are times when we just need to possibly wrestle all night long. Prayer is really, it's wrestling, wrestling with God. God, I won't let you go until I get this answer. I, I need you. And that's what you see right here in this, in this story. So I want to read in verses 22 to 32. Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to begin in, in verse 22. I'm reading from the ESV. The same night he arose and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children. And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage right here. 
Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Use me to say the things that you want me to say. Oh God, we're in the midst of tremendous spiritual battle. Devil wants to distract us from the things, the only things that really matter. Oh Lord, I pray that you would give us an eternal perspective. Lord, I pray that you would rest that you would raise up some some wrestlers from this group. Men and women that are desperate for you. And that maybe after this would would just get away, get alone somewhere, and just get on their knees and wrestle with you if if necessary all night long. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to pray. Give us an eternal perspective. Once again, I pray that you just stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Lord, we put these few minutes into your hands, <clears throat> asking that you would be glorified and that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the context of this story right here, <clears throat> you're reading through Genesis from about chapter 25, and you're kind of following the story of, of Jacob. Jacob is a twin brother with Esau, and uh, <clears throat> the story goes with Jacob, and you kind of see how this guy, he's totally self-centered. Everything is about him, and he's always looking for an advantage over everyone else. He's totally egocentric, self-centered. It's, it's all about Jacob, and he's always able to kind of stay one step ahead of the consequences. It, this guy, you could say Jacob grew up in a Christian home. This guy is, is the son of, of Isaac, the son of Abraham. I mean, what a family to be a part of. But uh, you see that this is a really broken family. And, and Jacob ends up, he, he's got these two wives and a couple concubines. And he's just got a messed up family. All these kids, all these different stories of, of the next chapter, two chapters later, his daughter, the only daughter that it talks about him having, it ends up being raped. And I mean... This guy, talk about some family problems. And it really, a lot of it starts with, the guy married two women. And uh, men, if you want to avoid a lot of problems, just marry one. <laughs> Stay faithful to her. It, it, marriage is difficult. Just, just one. You really complicate things when you go outside of God's plan and um, you could talk about how he was kind of tricked into it, but Jacob, his, he kind of had what, he was, what was coming to him. He was going around swindling everybody else. And, but you see that this guy, he, he kind of stays one step ahead of the consequences, and now this is this crisis moment in his life. The consequences have just caught up with him. And in the context of this chapter, earlier in the chapter, his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen for 20 years, he ran from Esau because he heard that his brother wanted to kill him. Now 20 years go by, Esau's married, he's got all these kids, he's got all these animals, and he's trying to like make, just kind of establish a, a life for himself and his family, so he goes away from his in-laws, and now he finds out his brother Esau is coming for him, and he's got 400 big, burly, scary dudes. And Jacob hears this, and this is a crisis moment. He, he freaks out. And the, the guy, he goes to God, credit. He goes, he, this guy, he seems, he, he's a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, he, he's got all kinds of problems, but he knows where to go in a crisis moment, and he begins to pray. You see that he starts praying in, in, in chapter 32, the same chapter in verse 9. It says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and go to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with his staff I crossed over the Jordan, and now I've become two camps of people. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau, for I fear him. 
And so you see that this is in the context of praying. You can almost imagine Jacob in this crisis moment just getting on his knees. He's crying out to the Lord, Lord, help, help, Lord. My brother's come to kill me. And, uh, and then the story kind of has this parenthesis where he splits up his family into these two camps. And, and then he just, he's like, I got to get alone with God. He sends everybody on one side of the, the river and he, he just ends up staying there on this side of the river alone with God. Now, this is like the key moment in Jacob's life. This is the, and it's interesting, as you read through the scriptures, there are different men of God that you see, you can point to a certain key moment in their life where God got a hold of them and a transformation took place. You can see this in the story of, of Elijah at the brook Cherith. You can see it in Ezekiel uh, as he is at the river Chabar. Moses has this at, at the burning bush as he meets with God there. Um, and, and here we've got Jacob here at this, this, uh, the, this brook Jabbok. But uh, key moment in his life. And I really want you to kind of consider maybe tonight... Is that key moment in your life where God is calling to you? And I really want you to think about kind of the, the gravity of the moment. You, you've been here, we've been, yeah, we've been having a good time this weekend, and you've heard a couple of messages, and, and the music, and all the games, and the fellowship, and surely you've had some conversations, hopefully some good individual conversations with the Lord at the center of that conversation. Don't let this opportunity pass by without having an encounter with the living God. The Lord Man, standing at the edge of eternity, at really the end of the ages, it seems, so close to the end of all things, let the Lord get a hold of your life. Jacob here, he, in the context, this guy is on a path to living a wasted life, to completely wasting his life. And some of you are in that same direction. You're on your way to living a wasted life. And there are a lot of you in this room, you will end up li living a wasted life. Some of you in this room will end up in hell. There are enough people in this room that several of you are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear his call tonight. Some of you are believers. You've grown up in a Christian home like Jacob did. But you're still so distracted. And just the chains of sin are clanging on your back. And you're going down this path of you're going to waste your life. You need a crisis moment like Jacob right here. Now look at this. The first couple of verses that I already read. Verses 22 and 23 and 24. That same night he arose. He took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children. He crossed the Fort Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. First point. He gets alone with God. You need to get alone with God. Just just go find some solitary place and go out in the snow. Get on your knees and just freeze to death, but wrestle with God. If it, if it takes that, you need to get alone with God. You see, Jacob, I love this. He just gets everything, everything that could distract, sends it on the other side of the river. He throws his cell phone in the river so he can't get texts or see Facebook notifications. And he just gets on his knees there in the sandy banks of the Jabbok River, and he starts praying. And as he's praying, all of a sudden, this guy jumps out of the woods behind him, jumps on him, and gets him in this headlock. And then there's this reversal, and Jacob, it is on. They're how, how many of you have wrestled before? You guys are at an age where wrestling is, is awesome, it's fun. A, a few years ago, my older boys... This was just before they went to Emmaus, and so they're like uh, 18 years old or something, and uh, one day we were just out kind of messing around, and, and both of them kind of looked at each other, and they, they decided they were going to jump on me, and, and we were going to wrestle. 
And uh, we hadn't wrestled since they were, you know, a lot littler. And, but I still thought, I, I do push-ups and sit-ups every morning. I can take these guys. And uh, we went for like five minutes. And I mean, we, we were bleeding and sweating and huffing. And after five minutes, <sighs> I mean, you, that, you guys that have wrestled, you know, when, you really, when you're really going for it, it's exhausting. Jacob wrestles with God for all night long. And if you kind of look at it and add up the years here, and a lot of commentators think Jacob's probably 80 years old at this point. This is a tough old guy. I mean, he's wrestling with the Lord right here all night long. It's really, once again, this is, it's a picture. This, this story, it's a picture of prayer. And in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it says a man jumps on him right here. Hosea chapter 12, verse 4 says it's the angel of the Lord. Later on, Jacob says at the end of this passage, he saw God face to face. This isn't just some, some guy. This is God. And when it refers to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's a pre-incarnate Christ. It's a Christophany. In the New Testament, you don't see the angel of the Lord ever again. What happened? He took on flesh and blood permanently. Now seated at the right hand of God the Father. You see angels from the Lord or an angel here or there from the Lord. But it never says the angel of the Lord again in the New Testament. But you see him a couple of times in the Old Testament. And every time he ends up being worshipped. So here Jacob is actually wrestling with the living God. Prayer. Man, I just, I think we all need to improve in the area of prayer. Someone has said that you can tell how popular a church is by how many people come on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the preacher is by how many people come on Sunday night. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people come to prayer meeting. Almost every church that I've ever gone to, prayer meeting is like the least attended. How popular is Jesus in your church? You know, the, the Queen of England, I guess, um, talked about John Knox And she said that, uh, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Europe. Man, that guy must must have been some man of prayer. Here, the most powerful woman in Europe, the Queen of England, she fears this one man, his prayers, more than all the armies of, of Europe. Oh, to be a man of prayer like that. I heard a story once about a small town in Texas where there's like four or five churches in this small town, but there was no nightclub. And a a businessman came into the town and he saw there's no nightclub and there's a lot of youth. And he thought, I'm going to put in a nightclub and we make a lot of money on this. And uh, so he puts in this nightclub and in all the churches, the pastors started getting together, praying that the Lord would remove this nightclub. And so they were getting together praying just daily, Lord, remove this nightclub and all the, the junk that it's going to bring with it. And uh, after about uh, 10 days of praying, uh, a, a, a lightning storm came, a, a lightning bolt falls, hit, hits the nightclub, it catches on fire and burns to the ground. And so the owner of the nightclub took the pastors to court. I, <laughs> I get this is a true story, I guess, and uh, and so in, in court, the uh, the the owner of the nightclub he presents his case, and he's like, everybody knew the pastors were praying that that God would would take my nightclub out, and so God he, he sent this this lightning storm and <clears throat> caught on fire, burned to the ground. Pastors have to pay. This is their fault. And then the pastors present their case, and they're like, Judge, I mean, come on, Your Honor, listen. Yeah, we were praying and everything, but I mean, random act of nature, uh, this uh, lightning storm and everything, how are you going to blame us? And then the judge says, well, one thing is obvious here. While the owner of the nightclub believes in the power of prayer, the pastors don't. And it really, man, is that, is that me? 
Is that you? Do we really believe in the power of prayer? I was talking to somebody just yesterday. It's like, you know, we just, we don't really believe in the power of prayer. You know what? I can prove it to you. How much time do you actually spend praying? Most of you don't even spend five minutes a day praying. That's just proof you don't believe in the power of prayer. And here you've got Jacob, I mean, a desperate man, crisis moment, just starts wrestling with God, and it's like all night long to the breaking of the day. Incredible. Now look at this in verse 25, just the first part. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, might not have read that right. When the man saw that he did prevail against, no, did not prevail against Jacob. So we've kind of established that this, this is God that's wrestling with Jacob. And it says that he did not prevail against Jacob. Another way to say that is Jacob's beating him. Jacob's winning the wrestling match against the God of the universe. All powerful God of the universe. That, that's amazing right there. You know, I think that's what's happening here is God's letting him win. He prevailed upon God. You know, I think God delights in our perseverance. He wants to see you persevere in prayer. That uh, verse in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse, verse 12, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, it's there, this, this difficult, confusing verse. I just want to read this, and I think this is where this comes in. It, it says right here, um, chapter 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The violent take the kingdom of heaven by force? I think what it's saying is the door of grace just barely cracks open. And those that are desperate for God, yeah, sinners and all kinds of problems, unclean, but desperate. The, that door of grace just barely cracks open and they fly at it, violently rip, trying to rip that thing open and get in. If there's some way that I can get the forgiveness of the living God, if there's just some way that I can be right with him, I want God and God alone. I don't care what it costs me. I'll wrestle all night long. Even if he has to dislocate my hip, which is what ends up happening. I want God and God alone. And that's, I think right here, you've got this, I mean, this, this is violent. Violent men forcing their way into the kingdom of heaven. I want God and whatever it takes. He prevails upon God. And I think that's what you see here. God delights in Jacob's persistence. He just keeps on wrestling and wrestling and wrestling all night long. You know, my, uh, my daughter, um, Maya, she used to just beg and beg for candy or cookies or whatever it was. She just, come on, Dad, just, just one. And I'd always say, no, no, we're, we're not going to have any junk food. And, uh, but, oh, Dad, please. And she'd keep on going. Now, parents, this is a bad example. You need to stick to your answer. But she would just, she'd bother me. And bug me until finally, okay, just have this piece of candy and then be quiet. She prevailed upon me. She beat me. And you know, when they're little kids, it's kind of like, I like that. I like it when my kids just like come to me and they just, I'm the one that, that they, they need to get something or, or they just want to be with me or the requests. And man, for God and us to just persevere and persist in our prayers. Um, persistent in our prayers. You read about people in, in church history like E.M. Bounds or 
John Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and David Brainerd and uh, these, these different men down through history. You read about them. And, and a lot of these men, they would wake up at four in the morning, spend a few hours on their knees. John Wesley, someone said to him, why do so many people come to hear you preach? Thousands of people would come to listen to him preach open air. Why do so many people come to listen to you preach? And he said, I light myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. You light yourself on fire at 4 a.m. Kneeling on the cold cement. Crying out to the Lord, wrestling with him. Going to the feet of Jesus. On your knees with your Bible open. God, I want you and you alone. I don't care about anything else in this world. Oh, that the Lord would raise up some of you to be wrestlers with God like this. Wrestling all night long, prevailing upon God. Now look at the second half of that verse 25. He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. You know... What a picture of God broke him. It just might be for some of you that God has to touch you where it hurts the most in order to, to wake you up, in order for the Lord just to, to shake you, wake up, wake up. And God has to touch Jacob right here in his hip socket, dislocating his hip. And he still, he continues to wrestle there. But, but God broke him. When, uh, when I was um, 18 years old, basketball was, was my life. It, it, basketball was my God. I worshiped basketball. I slept with my basketball. I, I trained about six or seven hours a, a day. I had some scholarship offers to some different colleges. I won a free throw contest for the whole state of Oregon. I made 97 out of 100 free throws. I was good. Now I, now I can't even make seven out of 100. But, uh, you know, basketball was my God. And one day I was playing, and I came down sideways, and the big, big guy came, came with all my weight and all his weight, and I busted my leg out, and I was on the ground, and my knee was completely over here. I tore my ACL, and all of my dreams for going to the NBA went out the window. And I mean, I lost all meaning and purpose in life for a while. But you know what? I look back on that day now, I thank God that he, God did that. God did it, and I thank God that he did it. He saved my life. I was on a path to just wasting my life over a game. And what it did was it drove me to the Bible. It drove me to my knees. It drove me to some really painful nights of just wrestling with God for hours. And he transformed me. He broke me. Some of you need to be broken also. Oh, that the Lord would break some of you. Whatever it costs. And then Jacob, you see, he continues to wrestle. You know, um, one time in Peru, we, we got, came out of the jungle and we went up over the Andes Mountains into a bigger city, Chiclayo. And there's this, uh, there's this um, water park there. And there was this one water slide and it was just super tall and, and steep. Some of you have been on one of those that just, it shoots you out like a bullet, super steep. And, and all of my kids were going down. Well, the older ones, Javen and Colin Bria, they were just going down, man, they're having a blast. And, uh, Maya, once again, she just, she really wanted to go, but she was so afraid. And she was like, ah, oh, dad, I want to go. And I'm so afraid. And so I grabbed her and I took her up the stairs and she's screaming, no! And I have this problem. It's probably sinful, but I love to see terror on the face of my kids. <laughs> when I know that it's okay, they're not going to die. But uh, I just, I, she had this look of terror and I was, I was just so happy. And uh, so I'm carrying her up the stairs and we finally, we get up to the top and we're looking down and she, I mean, just utter terror. Ah! And she, she latched on with this hand on, on, on one railing on one side and latched on the other railing. And I mean, she is just, no! 
wow, and white knuckles. And I'm just I'm laughing and, and I'm loving it. I'm probably eat one finger off at a time. And, I'm, and then I get this hand and then I start prying off this hand. And as soon as I pry that, what do you think she did? She grabbed a hold of me. This is exactly what God wants. Pry your fingers off of anything, anything that there could possibly be that you would grab a hold of rather than him. So that once he's got your fingers off of all those other things that sparkle or give you protection or whatever that is, so that you, you got nothing left. The only thing to grab onto is him. And that's the safest place that there is. God had to break Jacob. And then look at this. In verse 26, that first part right there. Then he said to him, let me go, for the day is broken. This is the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus looking at Jacob as they're wrestling. And he says, let me go, for the day is broken. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure about this. I don't know, but I think it was a test. Sound doctrine, you're on this razor edge. And you've got to be really careful to not one fall off on one side or the other. It is clear from Scripture that God does not tempt. James chapter 1. But we do see that God tests his people. And I think this is a test. Let go. Let go, Jacob. Let go of me. You know, maybe you're going through a really difficult time in a relationship or, or, or a difficult time in your family. And, and, and the temptation, just kind of a, a whisper, let go of God. Or even the temptation, look at pornography, let go of God. To grab a hold of sin. Are you going through a difficult time, maybe health-wise? And there's that whisper, let go. Let go of God to grab a hold of whatever other thing it may be. He says, let me go, for the day is broken. Tested. Um... Then in the second half of that verse right there, Jacob answers, and he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Those words right there, I, 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 for me, those are the best words in the, in the Old Testament. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. Oh, he passed that test with flying colors. The, the test. He, he got an A++ on that thing. When temptation or a test, and, and it's, it's the same or either side of that same coin, as it could be temptation and it could be a test, and they kind of sometimes go together. Once again, that, that razor edge of sound doctrine and how do those things go together? But, but you do see that. A lot of times temptation is also a test. You know, oftentimes temptation, sin, will normally offer you immediate sex, satisfaction. Now, as human beings, uh, I would argue that everything that we do we do it because we're looking for satisfaction. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. It's just, I want to look for the greatest satisfaction. And the greatest satisfaction almost never comes immediately. It's deferred gratification. Sex, before marriage, brings all kinds of consequences with it. Deferred gratification, wait, wait till that day of marriage. Save yourself for that future mate of yours. 
And that's where the greatest satisfaction is. Outside of God's plan and all the time Satan offers through sin and temptation, he offers immediate satisfaction, which is almost always wrong. Immediate satisfaction. Once again, like making decisions, what we do, we're always looking for satisfaction. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I mean, um, why do you study at school? You study, maybe you pull an all-nighter to study. It's a hard thing. But it's because you can see a little bit beyond. I want to get a good grade. If I get a good grade, I can understand this subject. Maybe you look forward even farther. You're going to get a good job as you, as you are successful in your studies. Um, but then also, even the person that commits suicide, I think they're looking for satisfaction. They just got so many problems in their life that like the only way that I can get out of these problems, the only way that I can escape is by taking my own life. So in a certain twisted wrong way, they're looking for satisfaction. But once again, that's immediate satisfaction. The greatest satisfaction in God's plan almost never comes with immediate satisfaction. And here, kind of this test, and you see the, the same uh, two sides of the same coin, temptation and being tested, and this temptation or testing, let go. And Jacob just passing that test with flying colors, I refuse to let go. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. I'm not letting go of God to grab a hold of sin. Where are the young people that say that? Where are the young people with that kind of a conviction? Where are the young people that just want God and God alone? And I refuse to let go of him. Verse 27. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. So now the angel of the Lord asked, Jacob his name and I mean it's kind of like Jacob obviously I mean he's, they've been wrestling all night Jacob knows who this is it's kind of like you know my name <clears throat> but at the same time it's interesting to think why does he ask that I think he's giving Jacob an opportunity to correct something that had happened 20 years before you remember that story where Jake or Isaac, he's kind of going blind and he thinks he's going to die. So he sends Esau out to go hunting. And, and so while Esau's out, Jacob and his mom get together and they get this plan and he's going to act like Esau. And so he walks in and there his earthly father asks him and he says, Jacob, or, or he, he asks him, what's your name? Jacob comes in, he's like, Dad, I, I got the, I, I went hunting and I, I've cooked it up and here, here it is. Now you can bless me. And so Isaac's, what's your name? The exact same questions that's asked right here. And Jacob answers and he lies to his earthly father. He kind of tries to lower his voice, Esau. He lies. And I think that Jacob must have known right here in this wrestling match when, when God says, you know what, what's your name? Jacob remembers that moment 20 years before. And Jacob must have been thinking, if I admit who I am, I'm never going to get the blessing." There went the blessing. It's out the window. I've been wrestling with God. All I want is the blessing. I want, and the blessing is God. I want God. But my name means supplanter. Basically, Jacob, his name means cheat. If I admit who I am in all of my sinfulness and wickedness, I'll never get the blessing. But I know who I'm wrestling with. I can't, I can't fool him. I'm Jacob. And the moment that he admits who he is, it, it, the Jacob, the cheat, the supplanter, I'm the guy that's always living this life of self-centeredness, getting, keeping kind of one step ahead of the consequences. But this moment that he admits who he is and all of his sinfulness, I'm, I'm Jacob. That's the same moment in verse 28, he gets a new name. He gets a new name. 
Israel. Look at verse 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Um, Israel. Israel means one who wrestles with God. But you know what? It can also be translated God's wrestler. And I think there's a tremendous lesson right there. If you want to be God's wrestler or you want to be a wrestler for God, you must first wrestle with God. If you want to be a wrestler for and all that the Lord would raise up out of this room, just a multitude of wrestlers for God. But before you can be a wrestler for God, you must first wrestle with God. And that's what you see Jacob right here. But he gets a new name. He got the blessing. He gets a new name right here. And then look at in verse 29. In verse 29, and Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Jacob, since we're talking about names, like, what's your name? And God's kind of like, you know who you're wrestling with. I'm not telling you my name. And he just, you can have the blessing. Got it. Got the blessing. Nothing better than that. He got the blessing. This is, and I, you know, I think in, in my own life, and you should do this also in your, in your own life, but I, I think over my life, and I grew up in a, in a great Christian home. Great example in my mom and dad. I grew up at 12916 Northeast Hancock, Portland, Oregon. And God blessed me there. November 29th, 1996, I married Miss USA, Amy Steller. And God blessed me there. December 29th, year 2000. Amy and I went to Peru, and God blessed us there. Each one of the births of, of my six kids, and I, can remember, I was there, every single one of them, and every single, I just sat there, just tears, and God blessed me there. After a few years, we moved to the jungles of Peru and, and, and just burning up in the heat and sometimes freezing to death up in the Andes Mountains, but just going around like a wild man, preaching on tables and trying to make Christ's name great. And God blessed me there. And you can just look over your own life and you can think in different spots. God blessed me there. And God blessed me there. And God blessed me there also. Nothing better than the hand of God and his blessing on your life. Jacob got the blessing. And listen, I'm not talking about health and wealth or whatever God can give you materially. God is the blessing. Do you really want God? And that's what you see in this picture right here, this wrestling match. Jacob just wants God. I mean, he's gone through all this life of self-centeredness. and He just gets to the end of himself. It's like, God, all I want now. I mean, I, I learned in the school of hard knocks now. I just, all I want is you. I just want you and you are the blessing. And he got it. Got the blessing. Nothing better than that. You know, wherever you go, whatever you do, if you're holding on to God, he'll bless you there. Just keep those words in mind of Jacob. I won't let go. I won't let go. I won't let go. I'm not letting go of God to grab a hold of sin. I'm not letting go of God to grab a hold of any other those things that can distract in this world. And if you refuse to let go of God, he's going to bless you wherever you go, whatever you do. Now look at verse 30. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I've seen the face of God, and yet my life has been delivered. You know, Jacob, so he names this place Peniel, which means face of God. And he's like, I saw the face of God face to face, and yet I've prevailed. I've, he, you know, it's not this idea where he's, I saw God face to face. I wrestled God face to face, body to body, all night long, and I beat him. I'm the man. No, 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 that's not the attitude. You should take it like this. 
I just saw God face to face all night long and he didn't kill me. Mercy, grace, love, the God of second chances. I'm still alive. I'm Jacob, the cheat. I'm Jacob, the supplanter, the guy that's just lived this totally self-centered, wasted life to this point, and God's forgiven me. If you read some of the commentators, they think that right here, this is where Jacob really was converted. He grew up in a Christian home. He had all the right answers. He even did prayer every once in a while, really believed mentally the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and now me, Jacob. But this is the moment where he really... It's not mom and dad's religion anymore. This is mine, and I'm not running to say it's religion. This is relationship. Now I know God. That night that I wrestled with him all night and I prevailed. The night when he broke me. The night when I admitted who I was in all of my sinfulness. That night that he gave me a new name. That, new, that, that night that I cried out, I won't let you go. I won't let you go. The night that I got the blessing. And now look at this. In verse 31, the first part of it, the sun rose upon him. Stop right there. I, I, I don't think it's por casualidad. I don't know how to say that in English. That it says it though, that I don't think it's por casualidad that it says that the sun rose upon him. I think it is trying to give us a picture of a new day in the life of Jacob. He's got a new name, he's got the blessing, the guy has been broken, the guy is, I would say, repentance as he admits who he is, and now a new day has dawned in the life of Jacob. Spiritually speaking, you compare Jacob's life before this passage with his life after this passage, totally a different man. Yeah, after this passage, he's got a lot of difficult things that happen in his life, but this is a man that now, it's a new day in Jacob's life. And now let, let me read this, the very last part of that verse, verse 31, it says, as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip, Limping because of his hip. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Joseph or Jacob worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. I kind of wonder if from this moment on, Jacob walked with that staff. And from this moment on, he walks with a limp. I imagine one day maybe Jacob is kind of limping along. And there's some guys there on the street corner, chupando cañaso. And uh, they're drinking beers on the street corner. And as, he, as he's kind of limping, some of the guys, hey, Jacob, Gimpy, hey, Gimpy, Gimpy. And I just, I imagine Jacob kind of like limping over. Boys, don't make fun of me because of this limp. This limp is precious to me. Every time I take a step, it reminds me of the day that God broke me. It reminds me, and that's a special day to me. It reminds me of the night that I prevailed in prayer. It reminds me of the night when he gave me a new name. Every time I step with that limp, it reminds me of the day that I got the blessing. It reminds me when a new day dawned in my life. When God gave me a new walk. Jacob got a new walk right here. I mean, look at all the things that happened to this guy as he spends all night wrestling in prayer with God. To end, end right here. I don't care if God has to smash me into a million pieces. I don't care if he has to tear my ACL, all of my human dreams out the window. I don't care if he has to dislocate my hip. I want God and God alone. How many are you? Uh, are there of you that could say that? I mean, most of us, ah. I remember listening to a speaker when I was your age in high school at a camp, and I remember him talking about some of these things, and I was like, 
Micah, like, follow God, but, like, don't get too close. He's dangerous. He'll probably send you somewhere like the jungles of Peru or something. But let me tell you, since that day that God broke me, tore my ACL, and then I just began to desperately seeking God, I have lived a life that the Lord has blessed tremendously. What a life. Bert Elliott, Jim Elliott's brother, he used to always tell me, Micah, what a life. What a life. And he, was, he would just talk about all the blessings as he's lived this life serving the Lord, just preaching the gospel, trying to make disciples. And Bert, he really wasn't, he was a garbage man. He had a garbage business and he just decided to leave everything and go preach the gospel in the jungles of Peru. And then just story of story after story of how God blessed him in different places and in different ways and used him in life, a life not wasted. And I'm not at all saying that you need to go to the mission field or whatever. No, no, no. Most of you are called to live a life for the Lord Jesus Christ right here in Iowa and working a secular job. But if you use your gifts and abilities, whatever they are, doesn't have to be preaching or teaching, whatever the gifts and abilities that the Lord has given to you. If you go with those gifts and abilities, hanging on to God along the way, he'll bless you there. And there's nothing better than that. Oh, men and women, go wrestle with God. Go wrestle with God. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm just preaching these things to myself. I need to go and just wrestle with you. I pray, Lord, that there would not be a single life wasted in this room. Oh, Lord, some are on that path right now, but I know your Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of many. I pray that they would not resist the Holy Spirit. That young man, that young woman right now that's struggling, I pray that they would just get alone with you, get on their knees, and wrestle for however long it takes, and cry out, I won't let go. I won't let go. I just want the blessing. You are the blessing. Lord, we put our lives into your hands, asking that you would do great things in this generation. Here as we stand at the end of the ages, please, Lord, use us to make Christ's name great. Please stamp eternity on our eyeballs. In Jesus' name, amen.